0: Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning. Lord, as we are reminded in communion, as this song, Lord, uh, assures us as well that when it comes to your son, the Lord Jesus, and his arrival here on the earth, Lord, that there is an already and there is a not yet. Father, we thank you this morning that Jesus has already come. Father, that we don't, as, as the saints and And the people in the Old Testament had to look ahead to a Messiah. Father, thank you that we don't have to do that. That we can look back to one who came. His name is Jesus. He truly was born. He truly did live. He truly died and rose from the dead. And there is salvation. Lord, we know this morning in no other name than the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, that's the already. But Father, we live in expectation at the same time of the not yet. That the Lord of creation is coming again that the King of Kings is coming to take his throne and every eye will see him and every knee will bow before him and every tongue will confess to him that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And Father, we thank you this morning that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we carry this great truth within us. We celebrate it here among us. Father, we thank you for the hope that Christmas brings us, the hope of the already and the hope, Father, of the not yet Father, I was reminded as as Mike was sharing with us in communion, he mentioned Zacharias and the birth of John the Baptist and all that that was, that was prelude and introduction to your son. And and Father, on that day when when John was born and Zacharias opened his mouth once again to speak, he spoke to his son and he said these words from Luke chapter 1, "'You, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation.'" by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death and to guide our feet in the way of peace. Father, thank you this morning that as we gather for worship that you have shown us the way of peace. We thank you that the light of salvation, of eternal hope, eternal life has shone upon us. And Father, that so many of us, whether we're here together in the room or we're watching from from someplace else, Father, that that we know because you've proven it, because you've sealed it in our hearts, that, that Jesus is the way, truth, and life, and that we have found the way to the Father through him. And Father, at the same time as we turn your, to your word to celebrate and to remember that, Father, we, we want to be mindful of the fact that maybe not all who are participating this morning have that knowledge, that assurance, that saving faith yet. And so, Father, my prayer is, is that as we open the scriptures and look together, as we continue in this quest, not just to prepare for, but to enter into the celebration of Christmas, of the birth of the advent of Jesus Christ. Father, that you will do whatever work in every heart is, is necessary this morning, a work of salvation. Father, a work of assurance, of confirmation, of comfort, of, of healing, of hope. Whatever the need may be, Father, you know what it is, and your gospel is the answer. So fathers, we turn to your word now, we know, and we are going to rely on the help of the Holy Spirit. We invite him now, Lord, with all our hearts to come and guide us in truth, to come and guard us from error, to deliver us from distraction, and to, to open the eyes of our heart that we might see Jesus. Father, we want to see Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching of your word, and we want to see Jesus only this morning. In the preaching of your word. And Father, we're gonna leave in a little while and we're gonna go back into Christmas, whatever that, that, that means, that celebration to us, whatever joys or or maybe even heartache it brings. But Father, I pray that when we when we walk out these doors into the week ahead, that we will go with a spirit of rejoicing and of gladness, Father, because of the already and because of the not yet, and because of Jesus who makes it all possible. It is Him we love, it is Him we seek. And it is in his name that we pray, as all God's people say together, amen. Amen. You may be seated. And once again, as always, as you're taking your seats, boys and girls, you are uh, welcome to leave for Children's Church. Five-year-olds up to the second graders, they can... They can make their way out. And as they do that, I want to invite you to take out your Bible uh, this morning as we prepare to study it together. And I want you to begin making your way, again, as we did last week, to the Old Testament book of the prophet Isaiah, specifically this morning, Isaiah chapter 11. I want you to meet me in your Bible in Isaiah chapter 11, and we'll get to that. We'll read the text here before us in just a moment. But, but as you're making your way there, I just want to take these maybe 60 seconds as you're sort of getting settled in and getting everything arranged. Uh, to do a couple of things. Number one, I want to just uh, underscore, I want to reiterate Scott's announcement from earlier in the service about baptism in just a couple of Sundays. Uh, We do have several people who are going to be participating uh, and maybe you still want to be one of them or you're curious about being one of them. And I I do encourage you, give me a call, shoot me a message uh, as soon as possible if that's something you're thinking about doing uh, because baptism Sundays are Amazing, and, uh, and if God is prompting your heart to be part of it, we want you to be part of it. And, and so you just need to let us know because it's coming quickly. And, and as you're aware, there's a couple of big days in between now and then. So time is of the essence. So I want to mention that. I also want to say something else, just, just a little snippet about that Sunday as well. That's going to be Sunday, January 3rd. Because as, 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 as a church family, if you've been part of our church family, you know that for quite some time now we have been seeking God. We have been pursuing Him about the possibility of of bringing a worship pastor, a full-time worship pastor uh, onto our staff and into our ministry. And God has been, I want you to know, and some of you are aware of this, God has been honoring and blessing that search as of late. And he has uh, brought a young man to our attention uh, that we are pretty excited about and that we have been getting to know. And on that Sunday, we're going to introduce he and his family to you. That's all I'm gonna tell you about him this morning. Uh, But I want you to know that if, if, if the baptism already wasn't enough to get you to come. You may want to come for that as well i will have an opportunity, as I said, to, to introduce him to you. Uh, he may uh, be able to participate in at least one song uh, with us, and then we're going to have a, we're aiming to have a meet and greet in the Commons afterwards, where you could get to know him. And then, as if that weren't enough, then that same week is also our first Fresh Encounter prayer gathering of the year, and he is going to come alongside and help lead worship that evening uh, at our monthly prayer gathering. So I want to encourage you to come check that out as well. So even as we move into to the main event of Christmas and then shifted into New Year. There's just a lot going on, and, and the way I see it, as God's dealing with my heart, I'm excited about the a lot that's going on, and I want you to be part of it as well. So those are just a couple of things I want you to keep in mind, uh, to be thinking about, to be praying about, but with that said, we want to get to God's Word this morning. So I hope you have your Bible open to Isaiah chapter 11. I'm going to read the text for you here in just a couple of minutes, but first I want to begin today's message by asking you a question. Actually, a series of questions, the first of which is this. Where were you on the afternoon of Monday, August 10th? What were you doing? What did you experience? And how has your life changed in the weeks and months since that devastating storm, we all now know the word derecho, came and shredded so much of our city. Everybody's got a story. Everybody has an experience. Uh, We like sharing those stories. We like talking about what happened and maybe particularly how God took care of us through it. Personally, I myself, actually my wife and I personally, we didn't experience what most of you did. We were out of town that day. In fact, at the the, the moment, the hour that that storm blew through uh, Cedar Rapids, we were sitting on the beach on the shore of Lake Michigan. We had no idea what was going on until our phones started blowing up. We heard what was happening. Uh, We acknowledged what was happening. We certainly didn't understand the severity of what was happening. And so a little while after hearing about the derecho, we went for a swim. In fact, we decided, because we could see some people, we're going to swim out to a sandbar that it didn't look quite that far out into Lake Michigan. And I want you to know, literally no joke, we both almost drowned that afternoon. So we have our own special memories of Monday, August 10th, and And the things that happened on that day. But the reason I ask you to think back to that afternoon and all that it entailed and all that came after it is because as we are entering and embracing the celebration of Christ's birth, we are looking, as I explained to you last Sunday, at three prophetic messages... That God gave his servant Isaiah to deliver to the people of Israel and through them eventually to us prophecies about the coming Messiah that were given 700 years before Jesus Christ. Died. Birth And and the reason I told you, and just by way of review, maybe introduction if you weren't with us last Sunday, but the reason we are looking at these three prophecies in particular as we come into the celebration of Christmas is because in a certain respect, each of these three prophetic messages speaks to, has something to say about three shared trials, three Shared adversities that all of us faced in the year 2020. Last week we began, and I told you conveniently enough, they all begin with the letter D. Last week we talked about a disease, COVID-19. Something that has a pandemic that has sh- changed in many ways all of our lives. You may decide for better or worse, and, and it's really a combination. Of, but all sorts of ways, some of those changes are going to endure. Now coming up on Christmas Eve night... Later this week, we're going to talk about the third D. That D is despair. The fact that with the pandemic and with all the other assorted trials and and hardships that have come our way, that there is in our culture today, really in our world, a pervasive sense of despair that God's word speaks to, that Christmas speaks to. But this morning, we're at the midpoint of that series, of, of these three Three messages from the prophet Isaiah. And of course, the D we're looking at this morning, as I've suggested to you already, is derecho. The derecho that we all experience. However, unlike the other two trials we're going to be talking about, this is one, as you understand, that is unique to just the 226,706 of us who give or take who happen to live here in Lynn County. This is our shared trial that is unique to us. And the reason I want to talk about it, the reason I want to use God's word to speak to it and then try to incorporate it somehow into the message of Christmas is because if the derecho made one thing clear to us all, believer and unbeliever alike, it is this. The material world we live in is broken. The material created world we live in is severely broken. Broken. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, it gave us a glimpse in no uncertain terms of the fact that the whole creation groans, and the whole creation suffers. But what the passage we're about to look at in Isaiah 11 says is that the healing that both we and the creation groan for. The healing that we and the creation long for, listen to me, it shifted. It shifted from wishful thinking to a future certainty on the night of Jesus Christ's birth. And to begin trying to put all these assorted pieces together and, and, and hopefully, as I said, bring it to the person of Jesus and the message of Christmas, I'm going to ask you to follow along as I begin reading in Isaiah 11, verse 1, down through verse 9, where, through the prophet, this is what the word of God says. Then, Isaiah 11:1, 1, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor make a decision by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth, and he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also, righteousness will be the belt about his loins, faithfulness the belt about his waist. And the wolf will dwell with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf, and the young lion, and the faddling together, and a little boy will lead them. Also, the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The nursing child will play by the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child will put his hand on the viper's den, and they will not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain." For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now, big picture, if I could just sort of bottom line this for you as we dig into the text this morning, Isaiah's message is this, that there is a day that really is coming when heaven and nature are going to sing. A day is coming, we really are going to see it when heaven and nature will sing. And to sort of grasp that incredible prospect, that prophecy and promise for ourselves, there are three things I want to show you in the passage this morning. Three things that we need to take hold of to see if we can put all these assorted pieces together and understand what it is that our God has promised to us. The first of which is this, and if you were here last Sunday, it's going to sound very, very familiar. The first point of that sermon, which is this, we live in a world gone awry. Isaiah, by impl- he does it by implication, but by implication what he shows us in this prophecy is our world has gone awry. Now, if you know the songs of Christmas well, you know Joy to the World. And in the third verse, I don't know how much you think about these songs when when we sing them. Many times I don't. I just sing them because I know them by heart. But in the third verse of Joy to the World, we sing something very interesting. And in a sense, sort of un-Christmassy, if you really think about it, because the verse goes as follows. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. Now why do we sing that in a Christmas carol? Why do we sing that in joy to the world? Well, we sing it because the very first, if you were to go back in your Bible to Genesis chapter 3, not coincidentally, I don't think, Mike mentioned that in communion this morning as well, but if you go back to the story of the fall of humanity, in Genesis chapter 3, what you discover is that after Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, tried to cover it up and hide from God, God came along, discovered what they'd done or, or told them, they discovered that he knew what they'd done, the very first thing God said was a penalty... For the sin they committed was this. He said, Cursed shall be the ground because of you. Cursed shall be the literal, physical, created ground because of what you've done. Thorns and thistles will grow up from it. And he said, And it will be by the sweat of your brow that you plant, that you harvest, and that you eat. And that's why the promises in Isaiah 11 of verses 6 through 9, are are so appealing, are so encouraging when they say this, when they talk about the future, a future picture of creation. Again, it says the wolf's going to dwell with the lamb. The leopard lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the fatling together. A little boy will lead them. The cow and the bear are going to graze. Their young are going to lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. And and on it goes from there, it says, listen, something is going to change. And I don't know how many of you are viewers of Animal Planet or of the National Geographic channel. But if you, if you ever watch those nature-type shows at all, you know something. You've never thought about it before, but deep down inside, you know something is true. You know that on any one of those channels and on any one of those shows, when a gazelle shows up on the screen... It's about to get real, right? Because if you notice, it never ends well for the gazelle. It always goes bad and gets bloody. And that's because the law of the jungle, the law of the the plains, the sea, the mountain, the desert, is this, you're either predator or you're prey. And in order for one to live, another has to die. That's just the way creation works. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, and if you've read your Bible, you already know this as well. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 1, what you also know is it wasn't always that way. That's not the way the world was originally created. Because at the end of of each day of creation... Of the six days of creation, and we do believe that this is the way the earth was made. God did it with his own voice, fashioned, as it were, with his own hands. But you know that at the end of the six days of creation, each day, whether he made sun, moon, and stars, or little fishies that swim in the sea, God said, it says, he looked out at all that he had created, and he said that it was good. Now, the Hebrew root of that word good, it means excellent. It means pleasant, but But depending on where it is used throughout the Old Testament, many of its uses have a different emphasis or or nuance to it. And the nuance in Genesis chapter 1 of that word for good not only means excellent and pleasant, it means agreeable, harmonious. God looked out and said, everything's working exactly the way it's supposed to work. Everything's functioning according to my perfect plan a total absence of strife but again it's not that way anymore and, and it hasn't been for a very, very long time because at a certain point, the world went awry. And with the passage of time, it's only gotten worse. And that is something, listen, that every predatory kill, every poison ivy leaf, every blue tarped roof, and every tree stump in your yard bears witness to every single day. The world has gone awry. The physical creation has been corrupted. Corrupted. But the message of this prophecy is, be that as it may, all is not lost. Because in fact, while that is what, the fact that the world has gone awry is by implication what much of Isaiah's prophetic message here speaks to. If you go back to the beginning of it, you note that the way he begins this prophetic message is with the second thing that I want you to see here this morning, that I need to see here this morning, is that it actually begins with a sign of life. It speaks to the fact that the world has gone awry but it actually begins by showing us a sign of life. Back in March, as the winter thaw was taking place, my son Lincoln, seven years old at the time, we went out, he and I, in the backyard, and and we tore out a dry, rotted tree stump that had been in our backyard for years. It was just time for it to go, and and it was fun because it was so rotten and so dry, we just ripped big chunks of it off and threw it in the yard. I mean, just destroying stuff with your little boys is a lot of fun, and... And so back in March, we tore that stump out. Well, then in April, I hired Marinatha's resident lumberjack, Neil Happel, to come to my yard and cut down a whole bunch more trees because we heard that this summer all the pools were going to be closed. So we bought a swimming pool, and we needed to make space for it. So Neil came out, and he cut down five, six, seven trees in our backyard, whatever it was. And then after that, I spent the months of May and June and July with my family sitting in that swimming pool, sitting next to that swimming pool, looking at my backyard, dreaming of the day when all those other ugly, scrubby trees would go away. And then August came. And my dream, by and large, became reality. I'm not saying it's my fault. I'm just saying I'm, uh, there, it, wasn't, it wasn't all bad. And, and as a result, like you, I've been looking at stumps ever since, right? Everywhere you go, we've seen stumps throughout our city. And, and, and I understand in certain respects, though I'm making light of it, it's no laughing matter. There's a lot about it. That was a source of real grief. Some of you lost a whole lot more than trees. Some of you lost your home. You lost important possessions. You dealt with just a lot of heartache. And you know what? Even as believers, it's okay to grieve. And we should grieve that stuff. We should grieve the losses. And we should grieve the destruction. Because again, it's the product of of ultimately a, a world gone awry. A world that has been cursed. But at the same time, I'd also like to suggest that six months ago, who could imagine how relevant this particular prophecy would have been to us with Christmas now approaching and with that storm now behind us? Because while, while I'm reading from the New American Standard, as I usually do on Sunday morning, and in verse 1, my Bible says that a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, almost every other English translation of that verse uses not the word stem, it uses the word what? Stump. Ha. A shoot will spring up from the stump of Jesse. In fact, it was thinking about that verse that was actually, as God brought that to mind, the inspiration for this whole mini-series of messages, because I thought, well, there's there's few things in the Bible more relevant than that to us this particular Christmas season, a stump. A shoot from, from the stump of Jesse. Now, Ray Ortland, a pastor and author, is very helpful in painting a picture of of what Isaiah, what the Lord through Isaiah was driving at by giving us that sort of imagery, a a shoot, a branch springing up from Jesse's stump. Because he said what Isaiah's use of that particular word is meant to give us here is a vision of, listen to this, quote, barrenness as far as the eye can see. Of no more branches waving in the wind, no more birds flitting around, no life, no movement, No sound. When you see that word stump, barrenness, loss is what you're supposed to picture in your mind's eye. But of course, that's not all that verse 1 is meant to do. Look at it again with me. It says a a shoot, a a leaf, a something is going to spring from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots. Guess what? It's actually going to grow up and bear fruit. What are we seeing there? A glimmer of hope. A sign of life. And all you have to do is read into verse 2 to to realize that this shoot, this branch, springing up from an an otherwise apparently dead stump, guess what? This this shoot is a person. He's talking about a person. Specifically, someone upon whom, look at verse 2, the spirit of the Lord is going to rest. Spirit of wisdom and understanding, of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and the fear of of the Lord. And, and what just a little bit more scriptural investigation helps us do, it helps us unravel the mystery of the identity of this promised one, of this shoot springing up from Jesse's stump. Because if you go back, now you don't need to do this, but maybe you want to jot this down and you can connect the dots yourself on your own time. But if you go back to 1 Samuel 16, that's where we're introduced to this character by the name of Jesse. And what we learn about Jesse in 1 Samuel 16 is that he had eight sons, the youngest of whom was a little shepherd boy with ruddy cheeks by the name of David. Right? And and we learn that David was God's choice to be Israel's first, truly great and, and ultimately its greatest king. And we know that through David a dynasty was established, that his successors from his family ruled over Israel, sometimes for better and sometimes for worse, but for generation after generation. Jesse had a son by the name of David. Now, when you jump from 1 Samuel 16 to 2 Samuel 7, you discover that that with this particular king, this little boy who's now grown up and taken the throne, God makes a covenant, a very special promise. And he says, David, guess what? You're You're here for a while, right? Like everybody else, you're going to live and die, but your throne, I am going to establish it forever. The throne, the dynasty, the kingdom you have begun that I have used you to begin, God says it's going to last forever and, and that is something that, that other prophetic testimony speaks to. Jeremiah thirty-three fifteen affirms it. It says, in those days and at that time, God says, I'm going to cause a righteous branch of David. You see, the language is there again, of trees, of branches. There's a branch of David, the son of Jesse, who's going to spring forth. And guess what? He's going to execute justice and righteousness over the face of the entire earth. In other words, here's what I'm saying. That the restoration of of God's original design. His his original design is going to be restored, and that restoration is going to be accomplished by one of David's descendants. And and this morning, if you didn't know already what you must know is this, that 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 descendant has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the shoot from Jesse's stump. Jesus is the branch of David that's going to bear fruit. And the reason we know that is because when you go to the New Testament, to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, what you discover is that before Matthew tells us the story of Jesus' birth, he actually prefaces it, actually opens the entire New Testament with the following words, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. See, God has a plan. He's working it out all along. God had a design that was working to perfection. And then what the the rest of the New Testament goes on to do is to tell us the story of Jesus and the impact of Jesus and, and the gospel and the salvation of Jesus and ultimately what the rest of the New Testament goes on to affirm in view of Isaiah's prophecy from here in the Old Testament is ultimately this, that all who trust Jesus as Savior, who recognize the dots that God was connecting for us, that the Bible connects for us, that Jesus is the one we're supposed to look to, guess what, if you trust that message, you trust him, Repent of your sin and trust him as Savior. Here's the promise that Isaiah makes. One day, you and I, and this is the third thing I want you to see this morning, we are going to enter into the land of our dreams. We are going to enter the land of our dreams. And frankly, as I as I went back and, and just reread and sort of pondered the, the picture of this. This transformed world that were promised through Jesus, I discovered hey, guess what? There's a, there's a little something actually here for everybody, okay? Whatever sort of your stripe or persuasion or, or your thing is in life. For instance, just follow me along, starting, just follow along with me, starting in verse four, because when I say that there's something here for everybody, well, maybe this morning you consider yourself a bit of a social justice warrior. Guess what? There's something here for you. Because with righteousness, he will judge the poor. And he's going to decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. You're concerned about the downtrodden, the poor, the overlooked. This kingdom, they're going to be taken care of. Maybe you're more of the law and order type. Well, there's something in verse 4 for you as well, because he's going to strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. He's going to take care of that too. Maybe you're a, a governmental reformer. You're a drain the swamp type, right? Maybe that's sort of your thing. Well, read into verse 5 because righteousness is going to be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about his waist. In other words, when this one comes, Jesus, and ultimately takes the throne, he has been promised. He's going to be defined by two things, righteousness and faithfulness, two things in very short supply today among the leaders of our world. Maybe you're concerned about the environment. Maybe you're into animal rights. Well, guess what? That's where verses 6 and 7 come in. The wolf's going to dwell with the lamb. The leopard with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion, the cow, and the bear. The lion is going to eat straw like like the ox. Again, all of creation is going to be transformed. The bloodshed and the harm, the predator-prey thing, apparently is just going to go away altogether. Maybe public safety is your thing. Maybe... Maybe, truth be told, even though you don't want to admit it, you're a bit of a helicopter parent. Well, Jesus has an answer here for you, too. Because my Bible says, as does yours in verse 8, well, nurse, the nursing child's going to play by the hole of the cobra. The wean child is going to put his hand on the viper's den. It's this whole sense of danger, of fear, of, of something's... If, if I don't keep an eye, if I don't keep my watch fly, something's going to go wrong. Not anymore. Not in this kingdom And then ultimately, in and over and through it all, verse 9 assures us that the kingdom Jesus establishes, that in that kingdom, the wounded of every kind, the exploited of every kind, those who have been abused in any imaginable way will be taken care of. They will not, verse 9 They will not hurt or destroy in all of my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I don't know about you, but that sounds like the land of our dreams to me. Isn't this what everybody wants? Isn't this what everybody says they're working for? But at the same time, what do we also know? We know as much as we want it, and as much as we may long for it, we Well, for one thing, we've never seen it. And if if you pay any attention to history at all, you know we're certainly not going to achieve it ourselves. This is not something we can bring in. And as I thought about that, it reminded me of one of my favorite lines that that C.S. Lewis ever wrote in Mere Christianity when he said this. Maybe you've heard it before. He said, He said, If I find in myself a desire that no experience in this world can satisfy, The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. There's something in my heart. There's something in your heart too. You know it. You know the world is not the way it's supposed to be. You want it to be different. I don't care who you voted for. They ain't making it different. I don't care what plan or strategy or philosophy you adhere to. It's not going to do the job. There is a longing in your heart. Nothing in this world can satisfy. Why? Because you were made for another world. You were made for a different kingdom. And Isaiah's message here, the hope-filled message of Christmas, is that there is one person who can deliver such a world to us. One person. Rather, he can deliver us from this world gone awry into this land of our dreams. And that is the shoot that sprang from Jesse's stump. Jesus Christ. And again, what verse 9 tells us is that his transformative work, it's not going to be limited to one little narrow strip of land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. He says, no, it's going to cover the whole earth. It's going to be a a global kingdom. And, And what this... Prophecy suggests, and what so much of the rest of Scripture and truly the gospel message that Jesus came here as, that he embodied and that he accomplished, assures us of, is is the reason it's going to be so radically different and so perfect, is that it's a transformation that's going to come from the inside out. Your nature will be transformed. My nature will be transformed. Nature will be transformed. Transformed. From the inside out, and again, I found Ray Ortland very, very helpful in this regard, in, in enabling me to, to just sort of envision and imagine what that's going to be like. Maybe it'll help you too. He says, "Quote the human family on the in the kingdom that Isaiah is pointing us to here." He says, "Quote the human family will finally be one. The very environment will breathe with the peace of God, and we will never hurt one another again. For if we bow to the rule of Jesus Christ, He will lead us into." Everything's safe and pleasant, with no dark side, no forced laughter, no guilty conscience, no unhealed wounds. For the victory of Jesus will be the awakening and purifying and restoring and gladdening of all things human. His kingdom, everybody say His kingdom. His kingdom is the only final answer to poverty, hunger, injustice, illiteracy, and all the other sorrows we have created. In other words, no more derechos or whatever else this tired planet slings our way. Through Jesus, heaven and nature will sing. That's the message of Christmas. Now, I can anticipate at least one objection. Maybe it's not yours, but it might be somebody's. And it okay, preacher, I hear what you're saying, but, but Jesus already came. And, and he lived, and he died, and he left, and... And we aren't seeing this yet. It says this is what Jesus was going to do, but we're still stuck in this mess. And that's absolutely true. But remember what I said last week and what I also said uh, or mentioned at least when we were praying right before the message began is that in each of these messianic prophecies, there is an already and there is a not yet. We need to understand this before we close. There's an already and there is a not yet. Yet, what already happened is yes, Jesus lived and he died and he rose from the dead, and he accomplished the most important thing of all reconciliation between God and sinful humanity. He made it possible for you and I to be saved. That's the already. And we need to embrace and accept the already. In other words, he already handled the what. What we're waiting on now is the is the where and the when. Where is this going to be? When is it going to happen? And I can't answer that for you, but I know Jesus said this. He said, I'm going away, but I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He's getting it ready. And I will come again so that where I am, you may also be. We don't know when. We don't know what it's going to look like. But he promised that he's coming back again. That is the not yet. And the reason he delays, there is one reason he delays. There's one reason he hasn't come back and cleaned the mess up yet. He wants as many people as possible to find the gospel. He wants you to trust him as Savior, and then he wants you to take it to the people you know so that they can also trust him as Savior. Because as I said last Sunday, when Jesus comes back, the offer expires. Today is the day of salvation. And there's no better time than Christmas to remember and to communicate that message to others. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. And it's why today's big idea is is plainly and simply this, that Jesus, Jesus is the way to where all things are made new. Jesus is the way to where all things are, will be, guaranteed, made new. New. And Father, we thank you for that incredible truth this morning and, and for the way that, that Christmas time, Father, enables us in some ways, as, as busy and as, as frantic as it may feel, it also gives us an opportunity to, to really go back and zero in on the very essentials, the very central truths of our faith which is that a Savior has come, the branch has sprung up, the stump looked dead, but in it was the seed of life. And from it came Jesus, the righteous branch, and he has borne fruit. And he calls us to come and follow him. Father, thank you this morning that so many of us in this place have already heard and answered that call. Father, life isn't necessarily easy, we experience the derechos. We experience hardship and loss. But Father, we, we understand as well that we were made for another world and that world is coming. And Father, at the same time, as we, as we began this morning, we will finish today as well pleading with you, pleading with those among us here in the room watching from afar who have not yet entered into the joy of knowing Jesus to put aside their objections to lay down their pride. To repent of their sin and say, I, I want in that kingdom too. Father, thank you that it really is as simple as that. We thank you that salvation has a name and his name is Jesus. And Father, we pray that over the, the coming days, between now and Thursday night and, and beyond that as well, that we will openly, gladly, joyfully, willingly share the good news with those we meet. Father, as always, we pray that you take the things of truth spoken here today and seal them up in our hearts and move them to our hands and feet and let all the rest slip away so that we leave looking to Jesus alone in whose name we pray.